Kayla. That is going to be, you know, if you're like, no, never mind. That, that's going to be fun times upstairs today. Um, yeah, so we have some good news is we've hired an intern to help us at the church. So that is great news. We've been looking for a long time, um, or what's felt like a long time anyway. Uh, and so she'll be arriving at some point in January. Uh, she's got a part-time job as a lifeguard at Elevation Place and part-time job here at the church. So she'll be living in the suite. Uh, it's actually a girl that's from a previous church of Shayla and our, uh, Shayla and my, you know what I mean. Uh, about seven or eight years ago, we were pastoring down there and then she showed up here visiting some friends. She had just finished a YWAM and so we took her out for lunch and we started to conversation and she was just really excited about what God might uh, be calling in her in this next year. And so she's going to come with us till for sure the end of June, potentially the summer. We're going to evaluate that as we go. Uh, so that's great news. What she's going to be doing is working with young adults, Sunday school, and helping out with Chili, uh, especially when Ryan has to go under the knife and get uh, a new knee. Um, she's going to get thrown into the deep end of the pool. Uh, and uh, just, just like that. Yeah, she's a lifeguard. It's perfect. Yeah, yeah. Lee, you're always so clever. Um, so, so that's exciting. Uh, she'll be here sometime in the beginning of January just because that's when she starts at the pool, but she's not going to start here until near the end of January. So you'll get to see her for a couple of weeks where she won't have any responsibility, and you get to meet her, uh, and we're excited for that. Now, the one thing we do need is we're going to try and furnish the suite a little bit for her. So we need things like dishes and pots and pans and a coffee pot and a teapot and a nightstand and we have a mattress but no box spring or bed frame so if you have any of those kind of things don't call me call the trustees ernie randy randy i'm throwing you under the bus uh call them and they'll organize that uh and, and we'll have all that ready so if you have something that is uh in, in good shape that you just find yourself not using, or if you have an extra one or something, just let us know and, and we'll, we'll get that underway. So that's our exciting news, uh, so it'll be, it'll be good. Let's, uh, let's bow, and then we'll open up to Luke this morning. God, thanks uh, for this morning. Thank you for who you are and what you mean to us, what you have done for us and what you continue to do for us. God, it's been a, a very busy weekend for many. A lot of stress, a lot of emotion. And so God, as we open your word now, we just pray that we would be able to focus on it, on the truth that you have to give to us in it. God, would you just clear our minds this morning, help us to understand what you want to teach us. God, thank you for your word. Amen. Uh, you can open to Luke chapter 1. And... Um, this morning, uh, we're going to be looking at a, a new kind of theme of Advent. So if you're, if you're new to church or, or new to the Christmas season as far as the church goes, is typically we do kind of four different themes leading up to Christmas Eve. Uh, and so the first week we looked at hope. And we talked about the hope that we have in Christ. And, and specifically now in our context is we don't hope for Christ to come the first time. He's already come. Now we hope for him to come the second time. And, and, and that hope is not built on... Uh, what we think might happen, but on a promise that God has set. And so we rest secure in that, that Christ is coming again, and we wait with eager expectation of that. Then last week, we looked at the theme of peace, and, and we talked about how in Luke chapter, actually, in this same kind of deal, in Luke chapter 2, um, the angels show up and speak to the shepherds, and, and they say that glory to God in the highest, and on peace, uh, and on earth, peace with 
those whom God is pleased. And we talked about how there's that tag that the offer of, of spiritual peace of God's forgiveness to us through Jesus Christ is offered to everyone, but only some of us embrace and accept that. And so the spiritual peace that we can have is incredible, but we have a responsibility to accept that and then to obey God as we move forward in our lives. Now this time we're looking at this idea of joy. And joy is the most um, complicated of these. Next week we look at love. And to talk about peace and hope and love, those are all very simple things that, uh, at least theoretically very simple things. But this idea of joy is a, is a much more complex emotion. And it's one that sometimes, when you just look it up in the dictionary, it's very insufficient in what it means. And the reason that it's so complex is that joy happens amidst all kinds of different circumstances. You can have an experience of joy when things are going really exciting, really good, something amazing happens in your life, and, and you can be filled with joy. And yet, yesterday, as we said goodbye to John, looking at the family and seeing grief and emotion and all those things playing through their minds and yet seeing the reality that there is joy because we know that John is with Jesus. And so even though there's pain and hurt and grief, joy can come out of that. And, and so it's just a very difficult emotion to, to really kind of fully grasp and understand. And here in, in Luke chapter 1, we're going to deal with a, a passage of Scripture where Mary talks about um, her joy that she has. And this is kind of an often kind of overlooked section. It's in chapter 1, verses 46 to 56. And the reason this is often overlooked is what's leading up to this is kind of uh, the, the birth of Jesus is foretold. Well, before that, the birth of John the Baptist is foretold. Then the birth of Jesus is foretold. And then you have Elizabeth and Zechariah and, and Mary and some of these things all taking place. And then in chapter 2, of course, we actually have uh, the birth of Jesus. And so there's these few verses here that are sometimes overlooked. But they can really help us understand what joy is, especially in the life of Mary. So I'm going to read verses 46 to 56 of chapter 1. Just by way of context, so the, the, the angel showed up to Mary, has said, here's what's going to happen. The Messiah is going to come. You are going to birth the Messiah. And, and, and she goes through this, well, how is this going to happen? I'm a virgin. I don't understand this. And then she responds with, with this beautiful, uh, I'm the servant of the Lord. Let it be as you have said. And then we have Mary going to visit Elizabeth. And whenever I read that section in 39 to 45, I, I think of the importance of community and the importance of church family. Is Here's Mary who has been told, you're going to give birth to the Christ in an impossible way. And she's going through so much, just so much to process. And then it's her cousin Elizabeth, who is past the point of being able to bear a child, and yet God says, no, 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 we're going to make this happen for you too. And then he brings them together, almost as if to say, you're both going through something nobody can understand. I'm going to provide somebody for you to spend time with so that you can process that together. And I think that's the importance of community, and that's the importance of church. And, and yesterday, Norm, Pastor Norm did a fantastic job of explaining that is that we gather together as a church family because we need each other desperately. That none of us can get through life on our own. 
And so when we can surround ourselves with our brothers and sisters, we can surround ourselves with people who have gone down that road before that have been through the things that we're going through and we can support one another. And so that's where we find ourselves in the story. Verse 46 says, And Mary said, My soul magnifies the Lord. My spirit rejoices in God my Savior. For he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. For behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. And his mercy is for those who fear him from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. He has brought down the mighty from their thrones and exalted those of humble estate. He has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. He has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy as he spoke to our fathers, to Abraham and to his offspring forever. And Mary remained with her about three months and returned to her home. So what we see here is, is, is Mary's response to everything that has happened. And when we read through this text, if you study through it and kind of uh, look into some commentaries, what you'll see all across is there's two Old Testament um, descriptions, one in Psalm 103 and one in 1 Samuel 2 about the birth of, uh, about the birth of Samuel, is these texts are all mirrored together. The language that's written... Um, the, the pattern of it, the phrases that are used, everything just screams this Old Testament rich poetic language. And so what we can kind of discern from that is that Mary understands uh, exactly what's about to happen and she's starting to process it. And the joy that's starting to come to her heart is overwhelming her. And so she cries out in this response and she cries out by saying, my soul magnifies the Lord. And it's not really a phrase that we would use very commonly uh, today. Uh, we would probably des- describe it more as, as where we would fall in worship of God. And we kind of think of worship usually in two ways, at least in our culture, is through prayer and through song. And, and rightly so, those are huge ways in which we do worship, but those are only two ways in which we worship. And perhaps you've had this same kind of experience where Something has happened in your life. God has orchestrated something. You, you, you understand what God's calling you to do or asking you to do or he's blessed you in some way and you don't even know what to say. And you fall down on your knees and you don't know what to pray and, and words aren't enough and song isn't enough. Well, that's the picture that we get here from Mary. It's so overwhelmed by the love and the grace and the mercy of God. She just falls down and she just magnifies. And this doesn't even have to be an audible thing. And I hope that you've had that experience in your life at some point where you can relate with Mary and you can say, God, you are amazing. You're awesome. I don't understand why you've chosen to use me in this way or why you've blessed me with this or or how this could possibly be. This is the feeling that I had for several months after moving here whenever I went outside is I just walked out my door and I just looked around and I found myself looking up a lot, going, God, why have you allowed me to be called here? I remember when we were moving from Winnipeg to Banff, and yes, that is a move in the right direction, just for the record, (laughs) is we would tell people um, our time in Banff, or our time in in Winnipeg was coming to an end, and and I I almost didn't want to tell them where I was going. 
part of me felt a little bit guilty or a little bit bad because it's like, as a pastor, you're supposed to go suffer for, you know, the gospel in these little places that you don't really enjoy, but you're called to. Well, that's not true, but that's just the mindset that I had. And all of a sudden, getting here and going, God, this has nothing to do with me. This has everything to do with you. Praise the Lord. I hope you can have uh, an understanding in your own mind of something like that. And so she cries out in worship. She says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. That first sentence is huge and packed with so much, and we could spend the whole morning here, but we want to just want to make just kind of two observations here, is her rejoicing comes in God, her Savior. That's where the rejoicing comes from. Not from the circumstance itself, though the circumstance brings her into that kind of closeness with God in that moment. But she says, my spirit rejoices in God, my Savior. And the other thing that I think is important, and it's a side note, but in the summer, uh, I go through every summer as a series on any question you have, you can ask, and then I'll, I'll deal with it. And one of the questions that was asked was, what's the main differences between Christianity and Catholicism? And so we dealt with some of that. And one of the issues was uh, the view that Mary has within the Catholic Church, that she uh, was perfect, and because she was perfect, she was able to birth Christ. And, and we talked about how that's incorrect. And here in this verse, if we understand it correctly, we see that because Mary admits it, her joy comes from in God, my Savior. Someone who's perfect does not need a Savior. Somebody who's perfect has no need for God. And so she's acknowledging right here, I need God, specifically. And this is crazy, but Mary is going to re rely on her son for salvation. It's just, it's just a crazy thought to have. Her rejoicing is in God. So I want to define rejoicing or joy uh, in a way that maybe is a little bit more helpful. If you look up in the dictionary, uh, most of what you'll see is, is a happy feeling. And I, I, like I said, I just don't think that quite defines it. So here's a definition from theologian Jack Wellman. He says it this way. Joy isn't like happiness, which is based upon happenings or where things are going well or not well. No, joy remains even amidst the suffering. Joy is not happiness. Joy is an emotion that's acquired by the anticipation, the acquisition, or even the expectation of something great or wonderful. Mary's joy comes from understanding the Old Testament prophecies of here's who Jesus Christ is going to be. Here's what he's going to accomplish. And she, this, this young girl, not equipped for any thing that she's being called to do. And God says, here's what's going to happen. And her joy comes from the expectation that not only will this affect her, and we'll talk about this in a minute, but as you read through 46 to 56, you see it starting from a micro point of view and then going to a macro point of view. It just gets bigger. Not just me anymore, but now, now the nation, now all of Israel, now all of the world. This will affect everyone. John Piper defined it by saying, Christian joy is a good feeling in the soul produced by the Holy Spirit as he causes us to see beauty of Christ in the Word and in the world. And so again, both those definitions have one thing in common. They take your circumstance or, or the context that you find yourself in and it becomes irrelevant. 
We're not joyful only in the good because in some of the hardship, we can find anticipation uh, and expectation. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 2 says this, Looking to Jesus, the founder and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Joy is not just something that's in the positive. Jesus, we read through in the Gospels, we read that Jesus goes through extreme discomfort and pain and hurt and agony as he's going to the cross. He wasn't happy about it. It wasn't an, an enjoyable thing in that sense, but the anticipation of what it was going to accomplish made everything worth it. The best human example I can give is uh, those of you who have birthed a child. That's probably not the most fun situation you've been in. But what you always hear, I shouldn't say always, what you often hear is someone screaming and saying, never again, (laughs) only to find themselves back in that situation so often. Because the pain and the hurt in the moment is too much. However, as time gives us perspective, we start to look back with fondness. And we start to look back going, these moments, these were good. Parenting is the hardest thing I've ever had to do in my life. And yet there's moments where you just have extreme joy. And not just when things go well but also sometimes when things go painfully and difficult. And so you have this this difficulty where it says, Jesus, for the joy that was set before him, endured the cross because of what he knew it was going to accomplish. The anticipation of sin being forgiven was worth the price of that pain. And not only was it worth the price of the pain, it brought joy to him in the midst of it. It sounds like an oxymoron. It sounds something backwards where it doesn't fit and that's why joy is so difficult for us to explain but i think it's why it's so important that it comes from god because it eliminates our circumstance nehemiah 8 verse 10 it says it this way the joy of the lord is what my strength my strength just look at this verse again the joy of the lord is my strength my own strength comes only from the joy that the Lord gives to me. So everything that I have comes from whom? From God. See, the more that we read the gospel, the more that we understand the gospel, the more that we understand joy, the more that we understand it has very little to do with us and everything to do with him. Yesterday at the funeral, we read from Corinthians where it said, we have the God of all comfort who comforts us. And as we read through that, and as I was kind of preparing for those opening remarks, I was reminded over and over again that all of that comfort, even the comfort that I can offer somebody because I've been through something, comes from the Lord. Everything comes from Him first. And so if we can humble ourselves to that point where we acknowledge that everything is about God, then the joy comes that much quicker because it's not based on external circumstance, but it's based on what God has done and what God is doing in our lives. As this continues, we read this then. Verse 48, For he has looked on the humble estate of his servants. And Mary's talking about herself. Behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. For he who is mighty has done great things for me, and holy is his name. 
And this text is actually used sometimes to try and prop up Mary when actually what you see is Mary recognizing in her own humility what God has done for her despite what she deserves. She's looking at this and she's saying, he has looked on the humble estate of his servant. Now, if what she really means is God looked down, saw my obedience, saw my goodness, saw my worthiness, and then picked me, that's not humility. That's arrogance. That's saying, God, I am worthy of forgiveness. I am worthy of salvation. Actually, the whole point of the gospel is that while we were enemies of God, Christ died for us. So she's not filled with arrogance. She's saying, you look down on me in my humble estate. In other words, I don't deserve what you are calling me uh, for. And then she starts to see the implications of this. From, from now on, generations will call me blessed. There's one woman that got the honor to birth the Savior. And she'll always be remembered for that. That doesn't make her any higher. Uh, that doesn't elevate her in the place where she is more important. It means that God chooses the people that he chooses for his reasons and his purposes. And the Old Testament is filled with examples of that where God chooses people that we wouldn't. The, the best example that I can think of in Scripture is Gideon, where he's just, from a, from a human standpoint, from a clan's standpoint is he was nobody. He wasn't a great leader. He didn't have a great army. People didn't follow him. In fact, Scripture teaches us pretty clearly that he was actually pretty, pretty cowardly. And yet God calls him to something, and God says, I'm going to do it, and I'm going to do it in such an obvious way that you can't even possibly take any credit for it. I think God does that so often in the Old Testament. Moses argues, God, you can't send me. I'm not qualified. I can't do it. Can't speak. And God says, well, that's kind of the point. I'm going to use you anyway. So get on board. And he argues a little bit more. Jonah argues, no, no, no. I'm not going to follow you, God. I'm not going to do what you call me to do. And God says, well, you're going to do it whether you want to or not. And it doesn't really end very well for him. But all through Scripture, you read example after example David being crowned the next king as he's the only one that wasn't even with the brothers to figure out who was going to be king because his dad is like, no, 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 he won't be. Can't be him. This is what God does is he takes those of humble estate, in other words, he takes those who are not qualified and he brings them to a place where he uses them for his might, for his glory, for his power. The gospel is not about us. The gospel is about God. But then as we get to this point in the text, we start to see that uh, Mary starts to take it from, first she sees it about herself, like look at what's going to happen, God's used me, this is incredible, people are going to always look back at, at my life and say she was blessed because she was chosen by God to be used by God, but then she starts to take it more of a macro or a big picture view. His mercy is for those who fear him. Now this is about other people from generation to generation. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered the proud in the thoughts of their hearts. Again, just proving what Mary's saying is that God does things that we wouldn't. That God uses people that we wouldn't. And he has purpose in the way that he's going to do things. In verse 53, he has filled the hungry with good things and the rich he has sent away empty. And then this, he has helped his servant Israel in remembrance of his mercy. She's starting to 
take this beyond her own self and realize this is going to affect the entire nation. And as we talked about with Simeon in, in the first week of Advent, is Simeon prophesies and starts to realize even in what he says, maybe he didn't realize it in how he said it, but we can read it and see it, is that God's plan for salvation was not just for the Jewish nation. It was for the Jew first and then for the Gentile. It was for the entire world as Jesus died on the cross, not for one group of people, but for every single person that has ever walked the earth because he's created them and he loves them desperately. So we see this in Mary's realizing in her own life. And this is what joy is meant to do. This joy is meant to put focus off of ourselves onto Christ and we start to see the world differently. We start to love other people more because we recognize that God created them and God loves them desperately. Sometimes, and I know I'm speaking generically here, But sometimes as Christians, we can struggle with this idea of judgment. Where we can look at somebody or a situation and we can say, why would they do that? That's crazy. Or that person, they're they're where they are because the decisions that they've made. I got the message of the gospel is that the only reason we are where we are is because of the mercy of God. Not because we did everything right. And so that mercy goes to every single person. Tim Keller explains it this way in his book, The Meaning of Marriage. He says, we must say to ourselves something like this. When Jesus looked down from the cross, he didn't think, I'm giving myself to you because you are so attractive to me. No, he was in agony. And he looked down at us, denying, sorry, he looked down at us, denying him, abandoning him, and betraying him. And in the greatest act of love in history, he stayed. He said, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. He loved us not because we were lovely to him, but to make us lovely. That that is why he says, excuse me, this is Keller speaking now, he says, that's why I'm going to say, love your spouse. Speak to your heart like that, and then fulfill the promises that you made on your wedding day. Now that book is defined in the context specifically of marriage, but that one line in there just stuck with me. He loved us not because we were lovely to him, but to make us lovely. Is in the same way with Mary. She did not understand how is this going to be? How how could I possibly birth the Christ? This, This doesn't make any sense. Yet may it be as you have said. In her own humility, she didn't try to just figure everything out. She just allowed God to do what God was going to do. And remember, there's a lot of pain and hurt that came with this. To be a young woman, unwed and pregnant in this culture. Right? Joseph, it says he was an honorable man and he, he seemed to care for her greatly, but he was going to divorce her quietly so as to not expose her to public shame, is what Scripture says. But then the angel shows up and says, no, Joseph, she's telling the truth. You're going to be the dad of Jesus. Imagine putting yourself in those shoes. Imagine telling your brothers and your sisters, your aunts and your uncles, actually, my son is the Christ. He's here to free you from your sin. There would have been a lot of difficulty. There would have been some ostracizing by the culture, specifically to Mary, but also to Joseph. And yet their response is not one of woe is me or oh, I wish she had picked somebody else because this is going to be too hard. It's of joy. 
because they understood the big picture, because they understood the gospel, because they understood that before them standing before God, they were in a place of humility and saying, God, you are worthy and you alone are good. And so for us as Christians to remember that when we fight these judgmental attitudes, when we see someone and we are quick to cast judgment or, or quick to say, well, you're there because of this reason, or those things, then we don't understand the gospel. Then we've missed it. Because I'm not worthy of salvation. And if I understand that, then that puts me in the same boat as every single other human who's ever lived. And so despite what I may think of their lifestyle or the choices that they're making, my role is called to love them and to show them who Christ is. Because God loves them far more than I'll ever understand. The message of the gospel is not just for those who believe. Salvation is for those who believe. But the message of the gospel is for every single person who's ever walked this earth. Our responsibility is to share that. And I think the greatest way for us to share that is to become people filled with joy because people will look at us and they'll say, your circumstance sucks right now. How could you possibly have joy? And we can say, let me tell me where my joy comes from. Let me tell you why I have hope, why I have peace, why I have meaning, why I have purpose. It's only in the name of Jesus Christ. Let's pray. God, thank you for even these very short verses here written. Thank you for Mary's response that her soul magnified you because of what you were doing. And God, help us to have that same response, recognizing what you have done already through Jesus Christ on the cross, but also what you are continuing to do in and through us. Not because we are worthy, but because you are worthy. Thank you that Jesus died on the cross not because we were lovely, but to make us lovely. God, for each one of us, as this week goes, and, and as Ernie said, it's busy and it's stressful. There's lots of things going on and lots of expectations around us. But may we recognize that we're here on the earth for purpose and meaning, and that is to glorify you so that other people would understand who you are and that they would come to salvation in Jesus Christ. May that be our focus and our purpose. God, for those who are going through difficult and painful circumstances, for those who are grieving the loss of John, for those who are going through difficulties that we don't know anything about, God, would you help them to see that their joy is not based on their circumstances, but their joy can be based in you. God, you alone are good. You alone are worthy. We love you. Thank you for all that you have done. Would we live as people who understand the great gift that salvation is? Go with us this week. Amen. Just a reminder, of course, if you were